You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 19. Hey there, thanks for tuning in to episode 19 of the Maritime Gardening Podcast. And we're uh, we're actually getting close to the to wrapping up season one, and uh, as usual, thankfully, we have our our host Greg Otten on the line. How are you doing today, Greg? Doing fine. Awesome. And uh, I want to kick this one off by saying uh, it was uh, it was awesome getting up to uh, to visit your place. You had a bit of a a gathering there last week, a week ago before we're recording this show. And I uh, got a nice tour of Greg's garden, got some nice photos. I'll stick some of those up on uh, our Facebook page as well as um, uh, maybe along with the episode. And uh, yeah, he actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> or at least or at least if he doesn't, he had somebody else grow a garden for him. That, yeah, that pay some guy a fortune to come here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it, uh, it was good. And we had lots of great food, the, the absolute best bean salad I've ever had in my life, and I can say that with absolute certainty. You've never had a bean salad before? I've never had one. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I've had bean salad before, but it was uh, you know, so, totally fresh from the garden ingredients. It was, it was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the uh, potato salad was incredible, as was everything else that, that, uh, that you offered there. So, yeah, it was a great time. The kids had a blast. And, um, yeah, weather was perfect. Um, got to see, you know, firsthand how it works. And, uh, you know, you let the kids pull out a few carrots. Actually, I don't even think you told them to. They just ripped them out anyway. <laughs> My wife is talking. I think I had them in the potatoes. Yeah, you had them in the potatoes. And then I Your think... Your older son just started pulling Yeah, he's like, hey, that looks like carrots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're a few less carrots. I'm but, picking this stuff. Yeah. No, that's okay. That's yeah, fun. we got some potatoes. We got some, uh, you gave us a nice big fat garlic. We're still working on that. I just cut some up today and actually put them in some hamburgers. Good for you. You got to eat that garlic, get that garlic in you. Yep, it was awesome. And um, yeah, so that was a great time. Um, and uh, I just wanted to start things off that way. So yeah, thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. So yeah. we've got uh, we've got some listener questions. Yeah, I thought we'd uh, do some listener questions first sure. and, and um, talk about one thing I didn't get to uh, last week or I just forgot to mention. I mentioned the show notes, but I didn't mm-hmm. mention while I was talking. Uh, we just got busy being yeah. ridiculous yes. towards the end of the episode. We do that. And, uh, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, canning, just give some people ideas on how I tend to do my canning. I have a sort of quick, quick and easy, super convenient method of canning. Nice. Um, that I think, uh, uh, and we'll talk about that. Nice. I, I find nice. it very, you know, if I couldn't do it this way, I wouldn't do it as often. It's mm. very uh, mm-hmm. quick and easy. Cool. All, All right. right. So, so who is the, or what's the uh, listener question? All right. The question was, um, any idea why the tops of some tomatoes are gorgeous and then you pick them and the bottom has blight? Well, that's because the whole plant has blight. Mm. Uh, I see. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, even I, that that uh, sort of tomato hothouse that I made 
Yeah. Uh, one major design flaw I had in it was that it's, it's so large, I can't really get in there to mm-hmm. manage the plants. So I haven't been, you know, snapping off uh, affected branches and stuff like that. So a lot of plants in there have blight. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as I've seen it, I could be wrong on this, but I noticed that if, you've, if you're getting some plants with blight, they probably all have blight. Mm. Um, you know, what you got to do is don't let your plants get blight next year. Mm. Um, chances are they're doomed. I mean, you can you can pull them all off when they slightly start to change color and, and let them ripen in a window, and maybe they won't get blight there. But I, I think it's probably already like in the plant. Mm. Um, you could yeah. you could harvest them all. I mean, the safest thing to do if you want to get something out of your crop is harvest them all as green tomatoes and make a chow or something. There you go. Green tomato chow—it's that's not bad. If yeah. you look the recipes online for that, yeah. um, you can't go wrong with green tomato chow, well, unless you don't like green tomato <laughs> chow. Then it's a huge mistake. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about green tomato chow. Go for it. A number of years ago, I had uh, uh, a, a whole bunch of tomatoes that they were just a variety that takes forever to ripen, mm-hmm. and they were all green. And it was like you know end of September, and it, there was going to be a frost, so I harvested this thing. And I mean, I had like like almost a five-gallon bucket full of tomato, yeah. right? All yeah. green. Yeah. And so I said, I'm going to make chow out of these. And when you make chow, you you, you got to slice them all up for you know you got to you got to take the pits out, and then you got to slice them all up. And I used a Cuisinart for that, but it was mm-hmm. you know it, was, it took probably took me the better part of an hour or so to get them all ready. And then I put them all in one of these big uh, you know those pots you boil lobsters in. Yeah. Um, uh, stock pot sort of thing. You, you put you put them in that pot, and every Every inch or so of tomato, you you, you sprinkle some coarse sa- uh, salt on, mm-hmm. and then you just let them brine overnight. Well, I let them brine for like a week. I forgot all about. Oh no! And then when they were sitting, you've seen my kitchen. They were sitting on the center of the island in the middle of the di- kitchen. Yeah. Uh, how I forgot that you know like a huge stainless steel thing is there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they just sat there for a week, and then one day I'm like, "What is that smell?" And oh, it all like fermented and got all nasty in there. Yeah. I had to throw them all away. I was I almost I almost cried. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't do that anymore. Mm. I, I know I, I'm I'm a lot more. Uh, well, as as we'll talk about later today, I do sort of smaller batches and get at things right away. Which, in fact, uh, this evening I have to um, make some pickles. <laughs> I have, I have a zucchini sitting in a brine. Oh yeah. I put them in a brine. They were supposed to sit in the brine for two hours, and that was six hours ago. Mm. It was a minimum of two hours, so six hours is fine. Wow. Um, anyway, so, yeah, if you're getting that end rot, and I've got it on a couple of my plants, and, you know, so far it seems like almost everything that starts to ripen on that plant has that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, watch it. Maybe the other ones won't, but generally speaking, if 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 you're getting it on your plant, it's probably just in the plant and it's got right. it. And, uh, you know, next year you got to be, you got to plant your tomatoes further apart and you have to be very militant about not letting any branches touch the ground mm-hmm. and very militant about getting rid of any branch that looks affected yeah. and do not plant anything. Don't plant any tomatoes or potatoes Hmm. Or eggplants, anything in that nightshade family. Don't plant anything where those tomatoes are this year. 
Yeah. That garden is, is basically a tomato-free zone for the next couple of years. You're going to plant other things there for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Even though it might be your best tomato spot, but it's got blight in it. So you got to just give it a break from tomatoes. Plant your tomatoes somewhere else where you haven't had tomatoes for a while. Maybe you'll get lucky and you won't get blight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, what's the other thing? Um, when you're choosing your tomato variety, try to choose varieties that are a little more blight resistant. Right. Uh, it's hard to find, but I know like in that uh, place where I've got all my tomatoes, the, the brandy wines have blight. Mm-hmm. This other thing called Valentine or Valentino or something like that, they have blight. Yeah. Yeah. There's some other one I got in there. I think it's called uh, Red Alert, which is a, an F1 hybrid actually. It's not, oh, a, yeah. not an heirloom seed. Um, and that one is fine. And, and they're delicious. Um, mm. The only thing is you can't save the seeds. You know, if you save those mm. seeds, you have no idea what they'll be next generation. Right, right. But those our tomatoes are um, completely, completely blight-free. Yeah. Um, huh. So you know they must have just selected for that uh, that that trait. Um, yeah. But they're also very sweet. They're very good. Um, uh, mm. I'm pretty sure it's red alert. I planted all kind. Of, when I when I made that um, hot house, I just like took all the seeds, every tomato seed I ever had, I just threw them all in there to see what would grow. So yeah. I don't even know what the hell it is to tell you the truth. <laughs> I'm just guessing it's that red alert because um, it, yeah. uh, you know, it resembles the description from the package. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now next year I'll be starting a fresh sort of thing. I've gotten rid of all. I don't really advocate hanging on to seeds. You should just sort of use them up and save seeds so you've got sort of you know um, your seeds have vigor every every season you've got new seeds and they're vigorous mm. so either you know save your seeds so that they're only a year old yep. or buy new seeds and make sure you look at the pack there for that year um, and you'll get better results just having vigorous seeds for sure nice yeah we did a f- couple episodes on saving seeds in case you're tuning in and you are uh, you haven't tuned into those that was episode 14 and 15 so just go to maritimegardening.com slash 014 or 015 yeah yeah so yeah i hate to break that to the listener but uh it's like your plant just has blight and maybe you're lucky and the other tomatoes won't have that but chances are they're all going to go that way um the safest thing to do is to harvest all the green ones and make something out of them Mm -hmm. and don't plant any tomatoes there again and next year be be more careful (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're careful this year. I mean, it can just happen. Yeah. Um, but if you, I, I know, like last year, I was extremely militant with my plants, and and I, everything was fine. Mm. Um, you know, I, I picked a spot that hadn't had anything like that, and, and it was all fine. So, you know, yeah. Mm. Use this year's mistake to plan next year's success. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. Okay. So that's that and rot. And there's nothing worse than it because you'll see this beautiful looking tomato and then you pick it up and it's just like gross. <laughs> it looks awful. You just uh. like my daughter, my daughter was identifying them for me and she said they were yucky. Uh. We threw them in the woods. Uh, that's, yeah, that's not so good. <laughs> yeah. uh, another listener asked me, what do I plant in the fall? And uh, not too much to tell you the truth. Um, you know, it, it gets pretty cold here and you know yeah. things things will germinate but they don't do much you know like you do a lot of reading about oh i have a fall cover crop and i do this and i do i don't do fall cover crops really i mm-hmm. uh, in the fall i i empty out my compost bins on top of my plants right on top of my garden bins 
And if they don't completely cut, and I, and I fill them back up with manure, and, and if all my garden beds aren't covered, I get more manure. So I, I don't do fall cover crops. I just add manure in the fall. Um, I, don't, I don't really, because the whole idea of a fall cover crop is you're going to till it in. Yeah. And I don't till, right? I just add. Mm. I mean, I do a rotation in my garden. So every three or four years, almost every bed has potatoes in it. Yeah. And when you're harvesting the potatoes, of course, you're turning all your soil over. Even if you're just using your hands like I do, you're still, it's a kind of till, right? So yeah. I mean, every four years, everything does get tilled <laughs> because I have potatoes at least every four years in every bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, potatoes are always moving around, being planted in different places. Um, yeah. But that's the only real tilling they get. Otherwise, I just add layers about an inch or so of, of fresh manure every year to everything. And uh, tends to result, uh, produce pretty good results. Um, I do plant uh, garlic around uh, October, you know, around Thanksgiving, middle of October. Yeah. Um, and I would recommend, as I've said many times in this uh, podcast, get yourself some good garlic, good seed garlic, and um, don't don't roll the dice with the grocery store garlic because it's chances are it's it's either not hardy for where you are. Like the, the cheap garlic that comes from China, that's soft neck garlic, and it's just not meant for our conditions. Right. Um, so you got to get a hard neck garlic mm-hmm. and you know your best bet is to get it from a garden center and pick out the biggest fattest ones you can find mm. if you grew garlic save your best ones and eat your lousiest ones and replant the best ones because uh, you'll get you know better good garlic as, as you saw on the weekend yeah. uh, it's incredible I've never seen any that big some of them are almost like you couldn't fit them into a coffee no. So um, this this year is my best um, my best year so far, but I anticipate an even better year next year because I'm saving the best. Like this year's best are better than last year's best. Yeah, and they're going to be the seeds for next year, um, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And everything's going to have a fresh layer of manure, so the soil is going to be very productive. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for that. Um, one thing I I do is because I've you know I'm working through. I pick my potatoes as I need them. Mm-hmm. So like today I made mashed potatoes and, and potato salad, in fact. Yeah. And um, so I, I opened up a garden bed that before was full of potatoes. Now the potatoes are out. So when I do that, um, anywhere where I've got things like kale or Swiss chard that seem a bit tightly packed, I'll, I'll pull a few out on a rail. I'll wait for a rainy day, but I'll pull them out and move them to where the potatoes had been. Mm-hmm. And they'll tend to do a lot better because they're in, they've got their own space. Yeah. Because um, the kale and the Swiss chard and everything in that sort of family, um, they'll keep going until I don't know, depending on the year, November, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to move them around if if, there, if there's any because it's like a transplant, right? Instead of just planting a seed, because it's a bit of a challenge to get a right. seed to germinate, you know, when it's getting cold every night. And you'll have things germinate. I mean, you could probably plant um, spinach right now if you had mm-hmm. the right. If I lived in the valley, I'd do more of that stuff. So right. you got to, you know, this is a zone five show, but there's a lot of variance, especially in these coastal areas from inland and, and sort of coastal or whether you're up high, like I'm sort of high in an almost. <laughs> yeah. So anyone that knows me, I say it's alpine. It's not alpine, but you know, yeah, really, there's a lot of alpine-like things growing here. If you go mm-hmm. in the woods, there's alpine, the various alpine berries all over the place, right? So it does have a lot of conditions that you could say are alpine. Um, even there are days when I'm driving home where it's not, it's raining, 
And when I drive up the hill to my house, it's snowing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like a mountain, right? Yeah, you are kind of just, just up there a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, um, you know, I could probably, you know, plant, uh, if you're in a place that's got like a nice warm fall, um, <clears throat> you could probably plant uh, spinach around now. And spinach, you know, it's 30 days, 40 days, you've got spinach, right? Yeah. And it likes cool conditions. So sure, give that a shot. Um, I used to do that. There's lots of things I used to do when I lived in Wolfville that I don't do now because it's just, it's mm-hmm. not the same here mm-hmm. from the conditions. Yeah. Uh, um, so, I mean, just experiment and try. Um, yeah. I'd plant something that grows very fast, uh, like a, like a, well, like a spinach. Uh, spinach grows really fast and it likes the cold. Um, or a uh, Swiss chard that grows pretty fast and likes the cold. Um, kale, even kale, it doesn't like to, it doesn't mind the cold once it's established, but, um, uh, it does like warmer conditions when it's getting started. It seems to slugs seem to be much more able to attack it when you've got mm-hmm. cold cold nights and cold mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I'll move kale around and give it some you know space and thin things out if I can. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's what I do. Uh, that's what I I don't do a lot of planting in the fall, with the exception of garlic. I'm going to try something. <sighs> Every year I've got potatoes that just come up. You know, I, I normally plant my potatoes in the middle of May, mm-hmm. but every year a couple of potatoes don't get picked, and, right. the, and they grow the next year. Mm-hmm. But I've had years where I planted potatoes, and they just rotted in the soil. So it seems like, you know, there, there's got to be some way to plant them in the fall. Right. But I haven't figured it out. So what I'm going to do this year, I'm not going to plant them, but... In one of my compost bins, which is just manure, basically, um, really, really well composted uh, horse manure. Right. Uh, I'm going to put a whole bunch of potatoes in the bottom of the compost bin mm-hmm. to keep them like a like a cold room. Oh yeah. Um, see, I put my potatoes in a, a box in my garage last fall, and they all had eyes that were like a foot long. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was warm enough in my garage. Even though it's cool in the winter, it was warm enough for the potato to start growing. Yeah. And and when they grow like that, if the eyes grow like a foot long before you even put it in the ground, mm-hmm. you don't get as good a yield out of the plant. You get a better yield if you've just got little sort of short fat eyes. Yeah. It does all its growing once you put it in the ground. Mm-hmm. So I think if I have them in that, I mean, this is just an experiment I'm going to do. Um, so next season I'll, I'll review with listeners. Yeah, think you know because my you saw my compost uh, sort of stations. The, the compost is about three feet deep in them, but it's still above ground, so it shouldn't be sitting in water. The water should drain through, right? Because they're yeah. above ground, so three feet should be sort of freeze free. Yeah, and it should, there's enough organic material that it shouldn't really, it shouldn't be too hot, shouldn't be too cold. It should just just maintain. And hopefully some some damn thing doesn't get in there and just start eating them all winter long. That would yeah. be a disaster. Yeah. But um, um, anyway, that's not really planting. I guess it doesn't really answer the question. But uh, garlic, kale, and chard and spinach would be would be my go-to plants for this time of year. I'm sure there's other things you can do, but I haven't had a lot of great results planting in the fall. I've done a lot of reading, and I used to do it because I'd read websites about gardening. But these are people that are like in. Zone seven, zone eight. Oh yeah. And, oh, I plant uh, cilantro in the fall. Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Washington State, you know, whatever. Uh, that doesn't necessarily work here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, give it a try. Maybe it'll work if you've got a microclimate. That's the other thing. Your, your place could just, wherever you are out there, mm-hmm. people, um, you could have a microclimate. Even though you're in Zone 5 or Zone 6, it might behave like Zone 7 or Zone 8, just right. depending on conditions. So, you know, don't, don't because I haven't been able to do something doesn't mean you won't. Yeah. But, you know, where I am here, I've just learned over the years to sort of understand the limitations of where I am. Right. Um, so I don't have a lot of options like that. Uh, the thing that grows the best here in the fall is uh, garlic. <laughs> yeah. And even then, you don't get any garlic until like July of the next year. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, one more thing. Okay. Uh, last last week, well, I was talking about all these things I do for pests, and I didn't mention slugs. Okay. What, what I do for them. Um, slugs are a real problem, and I talked about using eggshells, and I talked about using copper wire and all that sort of stuff, and I also talked about how none of those things really seem to work for me. Right. So, and I mean, if you spray uh, sort of like garlic, you know, if you make a, you know, like almost like a garlic tea. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you get uh, you get a couple of cloves of garlic and you smush them up and you put them in with some hot water and you let it sit for a bit and then you strain that through a coffee filter and put that in a spray bottle. You spray that on your plants, uh, it'll keep a lot of things off, mm-hmm. but it's going to get washed off over time, so yeah. things might come back. Um, so, and slugs, I mean, the, the slugs are the biggest problem when your plants are juvenile. Mm-hmm. You can have like a row of tiny little seedlings, and one, like one slug can just wipe out that whole row. So you oh, plant, yeah? yeah. So you planted it like five, six days ago, and it's just starting to come up, and you're like, "Oh, look, my seedlings are growing! Hey, isn't this nice?" Mm-hmm. And then the next day they're gone. They're just like little, little kind of. You can see little tiny stems and everything else. Oh, is, no. And they can't recover from that, right? Mm-hmm. They're just dead. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and sometimes. I mean, you can have real bad slug problems if you're just planting things a little bit too early. The plants, I don't know what it is about planting a bit too early, and I always plant everything too early because I just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to lose, you know, a crop. Right. And the off chance it takes, why not, right? Yep. What's, what's the laws? You've lost like, you know, 50 cents worth of seeds, so yeah, I, yeah. if it gets you a couple weeks ahead of time. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, what I've found that works really well for me is this stuff called Slug Be Gone. Um, it's a product you can buy at various gardening centers. They're, we're not getting any advertising money from these guys. No, uh, no. really have any sponsors. Yeah, so <laughs> everything we offer you is suggest is completely uh, yeah. uh, on the uh, legit. We're not getting anything. Out of right now. So, uh, anyway, uh, complete disclosure on that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I use this stuff called slug. And the reason I chose it is of all the slug baits, it's the most uh, sort of environmentally responsible one. All it is is from what I can tell from what I what the package says and what I've read about it is that it's a, a form of iron that's it's coated it's little pellets that are coated in something that slugs love. But basically what they're eating is a ridiculous amount of iron mm. and it's more iron than they can handle and they it kills them. It, mm. They eat it and they get this huge un- ungodly dose of iron <laughs> and they completely lose their appetite immediately. And they just crawl off somewhere and die. Mm. So, slug problem solved. solved. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a bit of, you know, you get some slug guts in your soil, which uh, is fertilizer and a little Bonus. bit of iron in your garden, which is 
fine. Mm -hmm. Certain certain plants need iron anyway. Interesting. Like your spinach, which slugs love. Um, So slugs, I mean, they like, when plants are young, they like almost anything. I've seen them eat pumpkins, squash, every single green there is, all the lettuces, beans, like they'll eat anything. I've seen slugs eat marigolds. Oh, wow. Like, like you go out in the morning, there's like 10 slugs on one marigold. Wow. <laughs> so, you know. That's uh, a hungry slug. You've got slugs in your garden, they can be a real problem. Um, you know, ideally you've got, you know, some bird shows up that loves eating slugs and yeah. just eats them all one day. But yeah. that bird would have to be an early riser because they tend to come out. Uh, oh, that's another thing they say you can do is you make a little dish with some beer. And, it, and they get in the dish and they drown. But, I mean, Dave, you saw my garden. Could you imagine how much no. beer I'd need? No. About, about the same amount you probably drink in a weekend. <laughs> but, you know, hey, what are you going to do? Put it in the garden? Or? Priorities, my man. Priorities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, no, that would be ridiculous. You do have a, you do have a large garden. Yeah. And, or the other thing is just, you know, just put some <clears throat> cardboard down and they'll hide under it. Mm-hmm. And I've done that. And, I mean, I... There was a season where I tried this strategy of using the cardboard trick. You just put like pieces of cardboard down between your rows, and they 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 seem to like hiding under it when the sun comes up. Mm. And I killed like hundreds, oh yeah, hundreds of slugs, just stomp the life out of them, and <laughs> they wow. just keep coming and coming, and it's like you can't you can't kill them away that way, like mm. you you know. You can't actively, you know, smush them with your thumb or whatever, but it's gross but besides the point. But mm. you just cannot kill that problem away unless you're using something like a slug be gone where all the slugs eat it. And they Interesting. All die, because they can't resist it. It's just, it this would be like so good. candy laced with, you know, yeah. something they something. can't handle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's one other thing too. I guess <laughs> we're going to get to canning. Yeah. But, uh, after we talked about neem, I seem to recall a number of years ago that I had bought a a uh, bottle or a thing of neem powder at an Indian grocery a number of years ago. I, I haven't been in town to look if they have it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's an Indian grocery on Roby Street, I think, in Halifax. Yes, there is. Yeah. There. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember where I got this. Somebody got this when I was living in Hamilton, for all I know. I've had it for a while. Hmm. Um, anyway, it's this, this neem powder. You're supposed to put it on your skin, and it helps your skin be, you know, better skin. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought it for my feet, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, it felt nice and worked fine. Then I stopped using it and forgot all about it. But I took that neem and, and put a tablespoon of it in some hot water and made like a sort of, you know, uh, tea out of it, I guess. And then I ran that through a coffee strainer and put it in a spray bone, and I've been spraying that on my plants for the last, oh, four days. Yeah. So, you know, more to follow on that. I got a couple beds of, of kale. Everything's being attacked by slugs and things right now, so, mm-hmm. um, and I'm running out of rotenone anyway, <laughs> given that I've been using right. this bottle for, like, you know, 10 or 12 years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I've got nothing on the one garden, and uh, I, I removed all the affected leaves. So I went back to sort of virgin new leaves, and I got one garden that's not getting anything, and another garden that's getting no. One area is getting rhododendron, one area is getting nothing, and one area is getting neem. I love this it's sort of experimenting type stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not a perfect science experiment, but I mean it's close enough. And that's one thing, great thing about gardening—you can do that. Yeah. So we'll see how the the neem spray. And you know, the thing is, you got to spray it on every day. 
right? Mm. And the way neem works, I did a bit more reading about it, is um, some anim- some um, pests just don't like the taste of it, right? Right. Um, but some don't mind the taste of it, but it's it screws them all up internally. Um, it doesn't have anything really. The, the chemical constituents of it are the, basically like carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and pretty pretty simple chemical constituents. But it it forms something like a steroid for insects, um, but not like not the kind that makes them awesome and better at everything. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Steroid that they're really not supposed to have, so it it can mess up their reproductive. Uh, organs and just just sort of really mess them up and their ability to it'll either mess up their digestion or they'll turn them off because they don't like the taste of it or cause them some sort of inability to procreate yeah um, all good things if you don't want them in your garden anymore um, <laughs> and I mean they've been using this in India for year and thousands thousands of years yeah uh, and you know it's it's still effective so you yeah. think of the pesticides we used in um, modern agriculture, the pests always adapt to it. Okay. Right? Nothing is ever adapted to neem. Yeah. It's, it just works in a different way. Yeah. So, um, hmm. definitely something worth uh, trying. I'm going to try this, and maybe next season I'll get some neem oil that's more expensive and try. But it's handy. You can just put like a teaspoon or so in a jar full of water and shake it a few times and spray it. Hmm. Uh, and I'll see how that works because I would love to sort of get out of the. Uh, you know, poison dust business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. Yes. Um, cool. So, canning. Canning. So, all I'm going to do today, and I'm finding my old, uh, good old recipe here in my good old recipe book. And all my recipes are, you know, you sort of Google it and try that recipe, and if it's good, you write it down, and if it's bad, you don't write it down, mm-hmm. and then you sort of adjust it as you go. So, it doesn't really matter what recipe you're using, whether you're making pickles or a relish or whatever. This is just a method of canning that I find very convenient because you can can like one jar. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's you know it can be a bit of a production to can like eight jars of beans or whatever, mm-hmm. right? It's handy. I mean, normally when I go up my garden, I'll pick a bowl of beans. And so, I mean, that's not, you know, I'll mean, use some for eating mm. and or maybe I'll freeze them all. But if, if let's say I'll eat, you know, I'll make a nice meal, a big stir fry, I have a lot of beans in it, I'll make a uh, three-bean salad. Yeah. And uh, so I've got leftover beans and it's, I know I'm going to have even more beans in a couple days, so I should can them somehow. Yeah. Right? So, uh and the kind of canning I'm going to talk about today is I only use this for canning where I'm canning in acid. So I'm canning with vinegar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because uh, the technique I use is called microwave canning. Mm-hmm. And if you look this up, just Google. I recommend everyone to Google microwave yeah. canning. And if you go to some, like I'm looking at the Penn State uh, right. <laughs> Penn State uh, website here, an extension on Penn State, and they say very clearly, um, microwave oven cannot be used for home canning. Mm -hmm. The microwave food reaches 212, but heating is not uniform. So they're saying right there that, you know, this is, if you want to ensure that uh, there's no chance of botulism or anything, this isn't the way to do it. Yeah. Um, So let's just start with that disclaimer. Mm -hmm. Um, I read, but I read so many 
people saying, I do it, I do it, and I watched people on YouTube saying, I do it, I do it. So the way I decided to go at it was I don't use it for canning um, unless there's an acid and a brine. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, various harmful microorganisms, they just have, a, not that they can't exist in acid and brine, but it's just less likely. It's likely, right? right? right. So I use it for pickling. You know, if I'm, if I'm pickling something or I'm making a relish, that's got sugar and acid and brine. Yeah. Um, I, I use this technique. And I mean, everything I preserve gets eaten within eight months anyway. It's right. all gone by by May of next year sort of thing. So I've never, I don't know, you know, maybe it's relatively reliable in a short period of time. Maybe over a long period of time, it's less reliable. I don't know. Um, but I use this for anything I'm pickling, uh, anything with a vinegar type uh, base in it, and yeah. it's been fine for me. And I've I've been using it for. I mean, I've been doing. I have not been using this my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered this method maybe four years ago, maybe five, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been using it ever since. And everything's always been fine. I mean, when I open a jar, I have a good look around and yeah. smell it and taste it, and you know that sort of thing. Um, but you know, my wife is very, very cautious person and she, she eats it and she's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it, it, you know, for me it's worked and I mean, I've heard, you know, a lot of, uh, old timers will say, oh, I would just, you know, sterilize the jar. I'd bring the liquid to a boil. I'd pour the liquid in the jar and I put the lid on and forget about it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. and a lot of people in the old days, if they were doing like a, a pickling type thing, they wouldn't even bother. They didn't have microwaves back. They didn't no. bother putting it in a canner and boiling it and doing all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to be absolutely safe, you should, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this is what I do, and I'm, I'm not recommending that other people do it, but you can, you know, just... Do your own research. Do your own research. Yeah. Use your own judgment. And yes. That sort of thing. Yeah. I just find it very convenient because I don't have to do a huge batch. Mm-hmm. So all I do... and. What I saw, I saw a woman do this on on YouTube, and she would put the, you know, put the uh, pickles in the jar, mm-hmm. and she'd put the lid on the jar and the ring on the jar. I'm talking about mason mason jars here, yeah. and she put all that in the microwave and microwave it for a couple minutes with the lid on and everything. Yeah. Um, I'm so nervous about the thing exploding. I don't do that. Yeah. Um, so what I do. I mean, this the way this woman was doing it is technically more perfect because it's a completely closed system, right? Yeah. Um, you know, while it's it's a little bit of boiling going on there, the air is going to escape, and it's going to be that much better of a vacuum inside that jar. Mm. Um, but what I do, because I'm so afraid of the jar blowing up, and I never know exactly how many minutes to do it. Um, mm-hmm. It really depends on how hot everything is when you put it in there. Mm-hmm. You know, a quart jar, if it's... If you put boiling stuff in there, you can only really microwave it for about a minute. Mm-hmm. If you put like warm stuff in a quart jar, you can probably boil it for about two minutes, maybe even three. Right. Anyway, what I do is I put the stuff in the jar, put the jar in the microwave, and then I put, and remember this is a sterilized jar, right? It's got to be sterilized first. Um, and then I put the lids in my um, kettle, you know, like just for making hot water. Mm. I have an you know, electric kettle. Yeah. Right? I put the lids in an electric kettle. And I turn the microwave on. Well, I turn the kettle on. And as soon as that's come to a boil and the kettle kicks off, I turn the microwave on for a minute or two minutes. However, mm-hmm. you, know, you, can't have, you don't want to have that stuff going in the microwave f- 
for an amount of time that's make it going to boil over because right. that, that'll affect the seal. You'll get, you'll, you know, sort of, um, um, what's that, what's that term? Um, mm-hmm. contaminate the, the, the rim, the rim of the jar and yeah. that'll affect your seal. So, I mean, you got to mm-hmm. figure out exactly what the right amount of time is for what you're doing, but it's going to be about a minute or two minutes, depending on what you're putting in there, how hot it is. Yeah. Um, so I've got the lid. It's just been boiled. And I've got the jar. It's just been heated up to as hot as it can get without boiling over. And then I just take the lid out with sterilized tongs. And without touching it, I put it on, immediately put it on top of the jar and, and close it down and take it out of there and let it sit somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not airtight. So, technically, it's not the, the most proper way to do it. But mm-hmm. I have never had a problem with it um, for everything that's pickled with Right. You know, as a salt and brine and, and vinegar and that sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't. I would not use it for meat, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't even use it for just if you were canning. You know, if you were canning um, like a bean or something in water. Yeah. Without you know, I, I only use this for something that's got acid in it because yeah. I feel reasonably safe um, mm-hmm. doing that. Hmm. That said, I, I've never found one official website that says that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so and do at your own risk you do at your own risk yeah. but it can be very convenient if you just want to do one jar mm. you know like I've got a I should have shown you my pantry Dave but I mean it's full of jars of stuff that I've put down yeah. um, and you know I, I don't find it overwhelming because I just sort of chip away at it here and there yeah, yeah. cool yeah awesome alright well that was uh, a lot of info and in uh, another uh, another good episode um just like usual, if uh, if you don't subscribe to the show yet using iTunes or another podcast network, by all means, you can do that. And that way, anytime uh, we release a new episode, your device or your software will automatically notify you that we've put out a new episode. Uh, this was episode 19, so you can find it at maritimegardening.com slash 019. And... Uh, you can also uh, do us a favor and spread the word by liking or sharing on fi- our Facebook page. Uh, we have a Twitter account as well. So, anyway, and if you have any comments or questions, we would love to hear from you. Uh, please do so. Anything else you want to add, Greg, or we're good? I think that's it. I think we covered it. Awesome. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we will see you on episode 20. Thank you. All right, take care. Cheers. Bye bye.